Well, it has been my joy to be with you this week. And uh, I've always enjoyed coming here, but this week especially has been uh, special to my heart. I it just, my heart has been ministered to. And uh, when you're in the work like we do, you're constantly giving out. There's not a lot of taking in and fellowship or listening or receiving or whatever. You're, you're, in our case, we're doing everything. And uh, it's like when I first started pastoring. I mean, I led the music and took the offering, basically gave the offering and everything else and did the preaching. I did it all. It's like I've come full circle in life and we do it. And so you're constantly giving of yourself in one way. Uh, but this week is, is, I have been receiving. It is, it's been a blessing. And uh, thank you so much for everything. And it's so good to have the other churches that are here. I, uh, that just blesses my heart that churches would do that. And uh, Shady Grove and Brother David. And uh, uh, they're such a blessing, been a blessing. They brought a team out a few years ago. And, of course, Brother David wasn't with them. And so the team was a real help to us when they were here. And uh, I'm not sure if David had come, we'd got anything done. But, but I certainly, I, I love Brother David and Shady Grove and, and Victory. I've never been your way, but I certainly love Brother Jackson and his family. And I was not aware that he'd been sick, but I can assure you, uh, he will be in my daily prayers, and I appreciate you coming. And then Brother Tyler Nunley, I think he came last year, and I forgot to mention him, and I felt so bad about it. I've that what it is? Okay. okay. Jay's saying, move on, move on, move on. I appreciate Tyler. Tyler came out and spent three months with us back here, and he was with us during our lockdown when we had COVID and we had the checkpoints, and and we were totally shut down at that time, so he didn't get to see the ministry in operation, but uh, he was with us all summer, and, and we've had a lot of folks, and I say this in front of him and all, but we've never had anybody, Tyler, that we have enjoyed having any more than we did having you, and uh, you were as, as good a worker we ever had, and uh, it's so good to see you tonight. He don't look as happy as he used to be. I don't know what changed in his life. Oh, he's still on his honeymoon here, Jolie. It's good to see you. But uh, we, listen, Tyler, you were a blessing, and your name comes up often uh, with Sherry and I when we're talking, and, and uh, we're thankful for it. And uh, wasn't expecting to see the video. That's several years old. A few things have changed uh, in there. Uh, the food distribution, we now do the food vouchers, and you help us with food vouchers. And uh, most of the time when we pass those out, uh, we'll do about $2,500 at a time. The vouchers go out. Each voucher costs us about $60. And uh, uh, we give them to them, and they're able. We've got an arrangement with the local grocery store there on the reservation so they can take that voucher to the grocery store and uh, get food and everything. So that changed, and uh, a few other things have changed due to COVID, and it, it forced us to look at things in a lot of different ways, as it did everybody. And uh, But much of what you saw uh, is still continuing to go on. 
But I saw so many faces on there. Miss Lois, she's with the Lord tonight. Vine, white face that was quoting the Lakota in John 3.16. He's with the Lord tonight. And Melvin, uh, we just buried Melvin about two weeks ago. And I watched those faces. And then and Brother Greg, I appreciate him singing, we'll meet it in the morning. And I thought, we'll see them again. And I couldn't help but just, as I sit there, give thanks to God that he let me go. And I thought some of them that maybe would have never heard the gospel. I do not speak of myself and to elevate myself, but I'm so thankful he let me go. I remember when they came to Christ, and they're waiting on us in heaven tonight. And they're there because of you and many others like you. And so uh, that was a real special blessing to see that again and, and to see those faces again and hear their voices again. And it's going to be a great day. We're talking about today, the Lord is coming, and it's going to be a wonderful meeting in the air, isn't it? What a glorious day it's going to be. And, and uh, you'll get to meet them all when you get there, and um, the blessing. And you are a part. The thing about missions and supporting missionaries uh, is that there are people saved all over the world that you will never even know their names uh, you'll never hear about them. You'll never know of them. But uh, you're going to get to heaven. And if you give to missions and you are faithful in your giving, uh, you've ever give and you do give, you do understand that every soul that is saved through uh, my ministry or any other ministry that's been represented this week, you do know that that it's, it's fruit that's being credited to your account. And when you get to heaven, can you only imagine, you're going to learn about people that got saved, you never even realized about it. We talked about like Charles Spurgeon this week, and I love Spurgeon, but uh, there's a, a, a chapter in Spurgeon's life that always fascinated me. And that's the little fellow that preached on that Sunday that Spurgeon got saved. I got to thinking about him one time. It was a snowy day. In fact, Spurgeon was 15 years old and he was making his way to another church. But it was snowing so bad that he tried to find shelter and he turned down a little street called Artillery Street and found shelter in a little Methodist church. And it was so bad that morning, they wasn't but about 15 that were there. And, uh, and even the pastor couldn't get there. But there was a fellow that was willing to get up that morning and to share a few things from the Word of God. He chose the scripture from the book of Isaiah, Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and ye shall be saved. And if you were sitting in that little church, if you'd look back to my right, right in the corner, that's where Charles Spurgeon was sitting. And I got to thinking about him. He was a little fellow. The, nobody from, it's like there was one day in history. This little fellow got up and spoke. That one day, it's like there's nothing about him leading up to that moment. And then after that Sunday morning, there's nothing about him. 
The only thing that anybody could ever find out about him, they just referred to him as the man from Bramley. They knew he worked cutting cabbage, doing odd jobs. It's like for one brief moment, he stepped into history and then he vanished. Nobody ever heard of him again. And even Spurgeon's grandfather tried to find out who he was and and nobody could seem to recall what his name was. And uh, Spurgeon said he was a little country fella and uh, struggling to say what he said, but, but God took him and used him and everything. And I've often thought about, did he ever know that the fellow that was down in London only a few years later, at 19 years old, he went to Park, New Park Street in London and the thousands started coming. I wonder if that little cabbage farmer ever knew that the fellow down on New Park Street Chapel in London, the ones the cabbies were saying on Sunday morning, uh, getting fares over the Thames to hear Charlie, over the Thames to hear Charlie. I wonder, did he ever know that that was that little old teenage boy that he said, young man, you look miserable. Look to him, look unto him. Spurgeon said, I look. And I wonder, did he ever know that the man that had captivated an entire city was that little fellow sitting back there? I don't know if he ever knew. But can you imagine when he gets to heaven? A little fellow that just is about an hour in his life and then he totally vanishes. But can you imagine when he gets to heaven the fruit that is he is going to reap because of one simple little Sunday morning. And you, you never know that dollar you gave. You put off buying a new car because you gave that extra. You raised your faith promise. And you get to heaven. You'll never know the number of people. You're going to meet them. Say, Miss Lois, she's with the Lord. You're going to get to meet Lois. You're going to get to meet Melvin. You're going to meet Vine. You're going to meet Tammy. Everybody came out. We lost Tammy during COVID. Everybody loved Tammy. Tammy Two Bulls. And, and she was the one that always, if you came out, she, she wanted you to take her home with you. You remember Tammy. She's always cutting up. And uh, you're going to meet folks that you never knew. And you have no idea the fruit that has been credited to your account and the rewards that you'll reap one day because you make it possible that we can go and others can go. Not only will those who go reap rewards, but you're going to reap rewards with them because you enable them to go. And so it's going to be a glorious day. And uh, so I I appreciate everything that you have done. What a blessing you have been. You've supported us faithfully, given to so many things, come out and helped us. And uh, you have a team that will be coming out the second week of December. And we hope you get to come. And uh, I got an alert on my phone yesterday Uh, The Rapid City area was under a winter watch, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. I said, Lord, could you not just let me get home and enjoy a week once in my life? Amen. And uh, 
but we uh, but you didn't get to come last year because of the storm, but hope you get to come. And so it's a joy to have you, and we appreciate you so much. And thank you for what you do for others and missionaries, and not just us, but for all your missionaries. And I know you love missions, and I appreciate that. And and I know you love us, and I know you pray for us, and, and I appreciate it so much. And we'll never thank you enough for it. Pray for us as we go back, and as we get now, this is the time here in just a couple of weeks, we'll start getting ready for Christmas, and uh, we'll spend just about all the month of November uh, getting everything set up, and then we'll start the first week of December, start on Monday night, and we'll start bringing them in one family at a time, and you that have been there, you know how it works, and we started this several years ago. And we bring in one family at a time. That way we're able to spend a few moments with the families. We have uh, hot chocolate and snacks and different things for them. And then we have our Christmas room. And uh, when we first started, it was that one little room back there. Now we basically, uh, we take up the whole fellowship hall and the uh, children's room. The children's room is really the toy room now. And then all the coats and boots and, and everything that we give to the people and uh, things like that. Uh, we have a team from Siler City, North Carolina, that'll be there the first week and start on Monday and start at 1 o'clock and bring them in one after another. Tuesday night, same thing, every other hour and a half, we have another family coming in, and Wednesday and Thursday, and then we'll close shut down and so we can get ready for Sunday, and then uh, the team from Charity will be there the second week, and We'll start all over again. We have to break it all down because it's, it's grown so much. And we do the fellowship hall. We have to tear all that down and move it back in uh, on the, the last night. And then uh, the very next morning or next on Monday, we have to bring it back out and set it all up again. And then tear it down at the end of that week. And then the third week, we try to go out in some of the communities. Because of the weather last year, we were still distributing Christmas up to the end of January, but we wanted to make sure we got all of our families in. And uh, so we're looking forward to having the team out this year and hope that some of you can come. And we have the Lord has given us a, a beautiful place for people to stay, and so you'll have a good place to stay. Uh, all we care about is you getting there. And so if you get, uh, we don't worry about anything else. If you get there, we're happy. If it snows you in, you have to stay for a month. That's not my worry. That's yours. And uh, we just want you to get there. Amen. But thank you for everything. I want you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. I looked at two or three things today, but uh, I settled on this. And I wanted you... In fact, there's three verses of Scripture I'm going to have you turn to in the Scripture. And each one of these scriptures or verses that I will read, there is one word. It is a word that is translated differently on each occasion, but it comes from one Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but there is one Greek word. It is the word philotomeomai, and it's only found three times in the scripture. And I want to point that word out to you tonight in the three occasions that it's found and kind of just say a word about what it is saying to us. Let's stand to our feet. And I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5 
And I'll read verse 9, say more about his context in just a moment. Paul said, wherefore we labor. Philotimeomai. We labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Thank you, may be seated. I want to talk to you tonight about goals, ambition, that which drives you, that which pushes you, and that which is your whole reason for living and existing. Goals that you have. The Apostle Paul, it may surprise you, he was a very goal-oriented individual. There were things that drove him. There were things that motivated him. There were things that that was his goal in life or his ambition in life. These were the things that he was seeking in his life. And I want us to look at our Father in Jesus' name. Thank you for letting me serve you. Thank you for letting me go for you. You could have sent someone else. You could have called someone else, but you've let me go. I thank you. And I thank you for every precious face, every soul that you've let us see come to you. How we bless your name. Thank you for this place and others that has made it possible that we could do what we do. And so with gratitude, we give thanks for all of these things. Now speak to us through your word. Oh, we want to hear you. And we need to hear you. So I pray you'll speak to us in these moments. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen. When I talk about goals or talk about ambition, you will find neither word in the Bible. You will not find the word ambition. You will not find the word goal, G-O-A-L. But you do have a word that speaks of ambition. And you do have a word that speaks of having a goal. It's a word that I mentioned just a moment ago, philatomai, and it is only found three times in the scripture. And Paul speaks of these things as being his goal or his ambition in life. But not just that it is my ambition, Paul says, but it's like he's saying, this is what your ambition should be. This is what the goal of your life should be. I want to point them out to you. The first one I read to you just a moment ago. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9, Paul Paul said, Wherefore we labor. Philotomai. This is my ambition. This is my goal. And what is his ambition? That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. 
It's like the Apostle Paul was saying, this is the ambition of my life that I might please Christ. To be accepted of him simply means to please him. It literally means to please well or to be well-pleasing. And Paul said, this is what I want. I want him to be pleased with me. I labor. I strive. This is my ambition. This is what drives me. That I might be accepted of him. Paul is saying, this is my ambition. I want to please Christ. Look a little closer at what he had to say. He speaks of his ambition as that of pleasing Christ while on earth. He speaks whether present, he said there. Wherefore we labor, we strive. This is my ambition that whether present, that I may be accepted of Christ. When he talks about being present, he's talking about while he is on earth. He speaks, and the word Present there is a word that literally means to be at home in one's country. And he's talking about the world in which he lived, his present life. And what he's saying is that in this life, this is something that drives me. I want to be pleasing to God. And can I say to you tonight, that should be a great ambition for every believer. That in all that we do, that we please him. In everything that we are, in everything that we do, we please him. Paul said, this is my ambition. It was his ambition while on earth. But he also spoke about how it was his ambition that he pleased Christ, not only while on earth, but when in eternity. For he said, whether present or absent, And then in the very next statement in verse 10, he speaks of what he's meaning and thinking of in being absent. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether he be good or bad. Paul said, I not only want to please him in this life, But when I stand before him one day, I want to be accepted of him. I want my life to have been pleasing to the Lord. He's saying, I want to hear the well done, thou good and faithful servant. He said, this is what I strive for. I labor that I might please Christ. I have found that for many, their ambition is to please others or to please themselves. I meet so many that they live and their whole life is built around what somebody may think of them. If you live to please others, I want you to know the folly and the futility of doing that. You will never be able to please everybody. Paul talked about in Galatians 1, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? He said, for if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Your concern should never be what others think about you. Your only concern should be what does he think about me? 
And that for which you strive for, labor for, that which is the ambition of your life is that you be pleasing to him. I've always been fascinated with that statement in 2 Corinthians 2.15 where he said that we are under God, a sweet savior of Christ. Literally a sweet fragrance or an aroma to God. He's talking about his life, that it, the life and my life and what I am and what I do, it rises as a sweet fragrance in the nostrils of my God. And Paul is saying, this is what I desire. This is what pushes me. This is what drives me that he may be pleased with me and what I do. A preacher, did you ever know Brother Charles Worley? Did you ever know him? Did you know Brother Charles? He's a preacher up in the mountains where I grew up, in the mountains of North Carolina. And he was such a help to me as a teenage preacher and a young pastor. And there was only, I mean, when the Lord uh, made Charles Worley, he threw the mold away. There was nobody, I've never, no, nobody liked Brother Worley. And when I was just a teenager, young preacher, he'd let me ride with him to meetings. And he had sayings. It was the way he would phrase things. I would, I'm never amazed. I remember one night I went to him, went with him in a revival meeting and was at the end of the service and a lady come up to him. She's just crying. And she said, oh, Brother Worley, do you really believe, do you really mean and believe that God would love somebody like me. Now this is how he responded. He looked at her and said, does a hundred pound of flour make a big biscuit? Well, that pretty well, that's the affirmative, isn't it? He just, you never knew what he was going to say or how he would say it. But we would drove somewhere, I rode with him to a meeting one night. We were coming back, it's probably 11 or 11.30. I just a young fella. And here he is, a pastor in a great church there in the Hickory, North Carolina area. And Brother Worley was as sincere as anybody you'd meet. And I'll never forget that night. We'd been quiet. He would rode for several miles. He said, all of a sudden, he said, Brother Ken, can I ask you something? And I said, yes. And he said, I want you to be honest with me. I said, I will. He said, we've been together a little bit over the past couple of years. He said, tell me the truth. Is there any, have you seen anything in my life that you don't think would honor God? He said, have you seen anything in my life that you don't think my Lord would be pleased with? And I've never forgot that. And Paul said, this is what I labor for. I want him to be happy with who I am. I want him to be pleased. I strive to be accepted of him. It was his ambition to please Christ. Also turn to 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. Here's a second time. That ought to be your ambition. Would you not agree? I live, I labor to be pleasing to Christ. There's a second occasion you find the word. It's an interesting context. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11, and that ye Study 
to be quiet. Study, same word as labor, philotomeomai. That you study, that you strive, that it be that which drives you. That this is an ambition in your life that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we have commended you. Again, there's the word. Same word as labor. He said, I labor to be accepted of him. And now he's given this admonition to the believers at Thessalonica that you strive to be quiet. It's like on this occasion that he's talking about portraying Christ, not only pleasing Christ, but portraying Christ, that you labor, that you study, that this is your ambition, that you not only please him, but that you portray him. Look a little closer. He talks about our personal life. He talks about that you study to be quiet. Now, he's not talking about talking or speaking. He's not saying keep your mouth shut. I think that could be a lesson learned by one or two, but that is not what he is saying here, that you don't talk. Rather, he's talking about a manner of living. It's more than an absence of words. He's talking about a lifestyle. The word quiet here literally means to rest from labor. To be quiet or to be still. And the thought behind the word is that there is not this restlessness in which you are trying to draw attention to yourself. But rather... You have ceased from this desire to be front and center. That you're not striving for yourself, but there is no desire. There is this quietness about your life. You have abandoned the thought of trying to draw any attention to yourself. He said you study to be quiet and without a desire for attention, not seeking attention. He says do your own business. Or we might say, mind your own business. Instead of being worried about everybody else, about what they are doing or what they are not doing, you pay attention to your own life. And then he says, work with your own hands. Quit worrying about somebody else. Oh, they ought to be doing this. Preacher, they ought to be doing this. They don't do anything. He said, you quit worrying about what somebody else is doing. You be concerned about what you are doing. Here's a personal life to where your life is not only wrapped up in what you are wanting, but there is this quietness. You're striving. To live a life where there is a restfulness about your life. That there is this lack of seeking anything for self or in attention. But you're just, you're concerned. You're, the only thing that you're, what matters to you is not what anybody else has done or not done. What have I done, Lord? What am I? Your personal life. But he also speaks about the public life as well, verse 12. That you might walk honestly toward them that are without. And that you may have lack of nothing. 
And the word honestly speaks of that which is honorable. It was a word that would describe something that was decorous. He's talking about how we live to the world around us. There ought to be something attractive about the way we live. Instead of being repulsive to the world and and turning people away from the gospel, that when they look at our life, there is something in our life that is attractive. There is something there that is decorous, that there is something there that has an attraction about it. Lindsey Glegg wrote a bunch of little old books, and one of them is entitled Life with a Capital I. And the truth of the matter is, that's the way the majority of people I have met in my life, that's how they live their life. I, it's all about me. What I want, what I want to be, what I want to do. But you understand tonight that the goal of life should be much bigger than yourselves. Much bigger than what you think about issues. It's much bigger than how you look at things. The goal of our life is that there's something about me that portrays the Christ that lives within me. Man went to hear Spurgeon preach. I mentioned his name a moment ago. And when Spurgeon ascended his 13 steps and stood upon his pulpit and put that left arm on his rail and he raised that right hand and began to preach, that man said, oh, what a preacher. But is it what was it long that he forgot all about Spurgeon as he heard him exalt Christ? And it wasn't long that he said, Oh, what a savior. And you see, that's what life is about. It's not about you study, you labor to be quiet, to live that kind of life where it's not about you, but it's all about him. There's this goal, this ambition this drive to portray Christ. But then there is a third one and a last one, and this is where I am aiming for, and it's found in Romans 15, 20. Paul said, my ambition is to please Christ. My ambition and that which I strive for is to portray Christ. But in Romans 15 and verse 20, If you're there, he says, yea, so have I strived. There's the word again. There I have labored. I have studied. I have strived. What? To preach the gospel. Not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another's man's foundation. The word strived. Colodomeomai. Paul said, this is my passion. This is the goal of my life. This is the ambition of my life. I want to please him. I want to portray him. I want to preach him. Paul said, this is the goal of my life, to preach Christ. Can I submit unto you, there is no loftier goal in life than telling others about Christ. To strive, to live, to eat and breathe, getting people into the family of God. I know of no greater ambition. Look at Paul's ambition. Notice how faithful he was in preaching Christ. Verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders, 
but the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Fully. Faithfully. It's not like preaching and winning and telling others about Christ was a part-time job in his life. No, it totally consumed him fully. He's overwhelmed with this drive. I want to get people saved. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, which is now Yugoslavia, some 1,400 miles, both Jew and Gentile, he had fully and faithfully told them about Christ. How faithfully he preached Christ. Look in verse 20, how fervent he was. Not only how faithful he was, but how fervent he was. He said, yea, so have I strived, driving him, pulling him, pushing him. Heard about one pastor that left one church and went to another. Someone said, why did you leave? He said, there was a strong pull from the church I went to and an equally strong push from the church that I left. Well, there was something both pulling and pushing Paul. And that burning in his heart was a desire to go everywhere and to tell everyone about Christ. Not only was he faithful in preaching the gospel, but he did so fervently. He was driven. Reaching people was on his mind when he got up in the morning. Seeing people saved was what was on his mind when he laid down at night. Every waking hour of his life, he was driven with this passion to reach others for Christ. The word preach simply means to proclaim, to tell, to evangelize. It speaks of getting people saved and that getting people to Christ. I ask you tonight, what is the goals of your life? What are the ambitions of your life? Paul said, this is my ambition. I want to please him. My ambition, I study, I strive, I want my life to be a reflection of the one that lives within me. But he said, that which drives me, I strive that others might know him. A few years ago, I became acquainted with the name John Harper. John Harper was a Scottish pastor in the Glasgow area. In fact, you can go to Glasgow today and there is the Harper Memorial Baptist Church. In fact, we're talking about Victor Maxwell today. When Victor was a student in Bible school, he attended. That's where he went to church at Harper Memorial Baptist Church. John Harper, I've never found any writings by Harper. And there's little that is recorded in history. But what is recorded in history is most telling about it. He was invited to preach at the Moody Bible Institute. So he booked passage across the Atlantic to come and he brought his little seven-year-old girl with him. He was going to take her to America as he spoke at Moody Bible Institute. He booked his passage on the Titanic. And you know the story of the Titanic. It is from survivors that... The last memories of John Harper, those that knew him, spoke about his love for people, his passion to get people saved. But survivors have left story about John Harper. 
John Harper gave his life jacket away, knowing that it would seal his own destiny. Someone heard him over by the lifeboats shouting to the top of his voice, children, women, the lost first, children, women, the lost first, children, women, the lost first. He was seen upon the upper deck as his back end raised with a huge crowd gathered around him. And he's in the middle of them telling them how to be saved. The last memories of John Harper from survivors was of a stranger floating by on a piece of wreckage. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Until he went under the icy waters at Atlantic that fateful night. What about you? What is it you live for? What is it that consumes you in every moment of life to reach people for Christ? Tory said, I would rather win souls than to be the greatest king or the emperor on earth. I would rather win souls than to be the greatest poet or novelist or literary man who ever walked the earth. He said, my one ambition in life is to win as many souls as possible. And he said, oh, it's the only thing worth doing. To save souls. William Booth. Who worked among the poor. In the east end of London. Among the slums. And the worst of the worst. Founder of the Salvation Army. So ridiculed in those early years. And and persecuted. But he would live to see the day. When his own king. Would invite him. To the palace. And William, William Booth, on the day, and he's, he's 75 years old, when he met his king and was honored by his king, he was asked to sign the king's autograph book. And you know what he wrote? He said, uh, Your Majesty, some men's ambition is art. And some men's ambition is fame. And some men's ambition is gold. But my ambition is the souls of men. Missions is all about the goal of reaching people with the gospel. That's what we live for. It's what Paul said drove him. He lived every waking moment. Lord, are you pleased with me? Lord, is my life one that is selfless? Am I dead to myself so that only thing that matters is what you wanted to live a life that will portray you, that it will attract men to you, not turn men from you? He lived every waking moment with a desire that somebody else might be saved and somebody else might be rescued and somebody else might escape an eternal torment. I submit unto you, I know of greater thing to live for. To live to see people say, say, I can't go, Brother Ken, but I'll give that others can go. And I'll live and do everything I can to see people say, 
That is, I submit unto you tonight, I know of no greater goals to have. I saved at the age of 16 on a Easter Sunday morning, 1972. In July of that year, I on a Sunday night, I walked down the aisle and knelt in almost the identical spot that I had knelt that Sunday morning just a few months earlier. And I told God that night, I mentioned that I think last night, I told God that night, Lord, I'll do anything you want. And I meant that. And when I got up that night, I knew in my heart that what the Lord would want me to do. I worked it a little. I'd go to was going to school during the day, and I'd get off, and I, I worked over at a place called the Cardinal. It was a restaurant. I had a very sophisticated job. I was a dishwasher. I had everybody, you don't think it's sophisticated? You sure don't want to eat off dirty plates, did you, amen? And so I, I had that job. There was no boy there. He asked me if I'd take him home that night. We got off about 11. He lived outside of Boone where I grew up, down off of the uh, Deerfield, Deerfield Road down there. And uh, all that day, all that night, I, I take, can't tell you, this is like on Tuesday after that Sunday night, I wrestled. I think it was about 7 o'clock. I, I shut that machine off, and I went over to the office, and Mr. Garvey was my bossman. And I went over there, and I said, Mr. Garvey, he said, what can I do for you? I said, I need to get off on Sunday. And he said, "You?" He said, Ken, you know that's our busiest day. I can't let you off on Sunday. He said, why do you want off on Sunday? And I said it. It's the first time I'd ever said it. I said, I believe the Lord wants me to be a preacher. And he looked at me, and it's like he started to laugh, but he saw that I was serious, and he just looked at me for a minute. He was not a Christian. And just looked at me, and he said, well, I guess if you're going to be a preacher, you need to be off on Sunday. And I said, he said, we'll work it out, and he did. I went back and finished my job. Took this old boy home, and I dropped him off. We came down the road about a mile from his house. There's no rock quarry. I pulled off. It was about 11.30, quarter to 12. I got out of my car, a little old Dodge Dart. I had that thing jacked up, them 60s on the back of it. Them thrush muffers, they were sounding, buddy. That little 318, I had it packed as all we could get out of it. And uh, But I pulled off in that rock quarry. And I said, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I can't explain what happened to me that night. I'd never shouted in my life, but I was crying one minute and shouted. I can't tell you. It's just like when I said, Lord, I'll do it. It's like the glory filled my heart. I cried all the way home, pulled in the driveway, and I still cried and shouted. Sports light went on my mom's stepdad. That's her memory. She's with the Lord. And uh, she said, Ken, what's the matter? Or the porch light came on, and she stepped out out the front porch. And now what would you say if your 16-year-old son came home and said, Mom, God's called me free? What, what would you say? Uh, she said, what's the matter? I said, Mom, God wants me to free. What would you say? And honestly, bless her memory. She looked at me and she said, Ken, have you been drinking? And I, she honestly did. I said, uh, no. That's been over 50-some years ago. 
If I go back, in spite of every time I've had my heart broken, in spite of every time I've saw my family go through the things they had to go through, my grandson was here last night. I thought about him. It's such a joy to be with him. We hadn't got to be with our grandchildren. I never got to go to his ball game. I didn't get to go to his graduation. I didn't get to be at his wedding. We, we were gone. We, we, we didn't get to enjoy any of those things that we so looked forward to looking for. And I thought about it. We've had such a good time. A lot of, I think of all the things. If I could reverse time tonight, and it was a Sunday night, that invitation was given. I would, I'd get on my knees and give it all over to him again. There is no greater joy than to give your life to please him, to portray him, and to preach him. May that be the, may that consume you. Let's stand to our feet. Our blessed Lord, oh, may you be our everything. Bless this dear body of believers. Oh, how I thank God for each church represented. Do a work in our hearts in these days that will lead to the advancement of the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Greg, brother...